We all know, I hope, that there are seven sacraments in the church. Baptism, the Eucharist, confirmation, confession, anointing of the sick, holy orders, and matrimony. Baptism and matrimony are unique from the other five in that neither require the participation of an ordained priest. Although the church normally requires that a Catholic approach the church to receive baptism for their child, which will be performed by a priest or deacon, the church recognizes the reality that any person can validly baptize any other person. This is why the Catholic Church recognizes most Protestant baptisms as valid, and thus considers Protestants to be brothers and sisters in Christ. So long as the person is baptized by a threefold infusion of water in the correct Trinitarian formula, which is, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, such action confers the grace of the sacrament. Indeed, many people are surprised to learn the church recognizes that even a person who is not baptized and who may thus have no faith in Christ can actually baptize another person. There are actually many stories from the World War II era of Jewish nurses and doctors baptizing the newborn children of Christians who were killed, usually in a bombing raid or something like that, and thus honoring what they knew the parents wanted for their son or daughter. Because in acting as a minister of baptism, a person is not, strictly speaking, sharing his or her own baptism. Unlike, say, holy orders in which a bishop passes on the priestly configuration which he himself received at his own ordination. Rather, each baptism is an act unto itself. We can see, of course, that God in his mercy structured the sacrament of baptism in this way so as to create the most minimal barrier of entry into the life of Christ. With one caveat, a person cannot baptize themselves. It always requires another person, again, Christian or not themselves, to confer baptism on someone else. This is why every Catholic should know how to perform a baptism in an emergency. There is always the chance that, in danger of death, you might be able to save an unbaptized person who desires to receive eternal life in Christ. Marriage, too, does not strictly require the presence of an ordained priest or deacon, though, again, the Church normally requires that Catholics have their marriage vows received in front of one, because the priest or deacon does not confer marriage upon the spouses. Rather, uniquely compared to the other sacraments, it's the case that the spouses, in exchanging marital consent, confer the sacrament on one another. By virtue of their own baptisms, a Christian man and woman have the power to enter into the indissoluble bond of marriage themselves. This is again why the Church recognizes the sacramentality of Protestant marriages, because any baptized Christian has the power to create this bond with another baptized Christian of the opposite sex. But the sacrament of marriage is distinct from the other six sacraments in a yet still further way. Each of the other six sacraments was uniquely created by Christ as a sign of grace in the New Covenant. By contrast, marriage existed in the Old Covenant. Indeed, it existed outside of and before the Old Covenant as a natural institution in which men and women order their lives to one another. This is why even now the Church recognizes and honors the natural bond of marriage that may exist between two non-Christians, or sometimes between a Christian and a non-Christian. 
Instead, we say that Christ redeemed the existing institution of marriage that had been ordained from the creation of man so that amongst the baptized, it could now serve as a sign and symbol of the new covenant. Marriage, by its nature, evidences the total self-gift of one person to another. It's why St. Paul uses the nuptial relationship of man and woman as the image of the relationship of Christ to his church. It's why we refer to the church as the bride of Christ. Because Christ has fully bound himself to his church as a husband does to his wife. The two become one flesh. Which is why the church is able through her priests who act in, per, in persona Christi to bring forth the Eucharist for the faithful. Thus we can see why in the gospel reading from today, as well as in many other places in the gospel, Jesus uses the image of a wedding banquet as a symbol of the heavenly banquet to which God calls us. We intuitively recognize how rude it would be to refuse a wedding invitation in order to attend to some more mundane business. Well, we ought to recognize as well the ways in which we turn from the joy that the Lord offers us in the Eucharistic banquet, which is the wedding feast of the Lamb, by failing to participate fully in the holy sacrifice of the Mass, whether that's by absence or by inattention. I can't count the number of times in the confessional that a person has confessed to missing Mass on a Sunday or holy day of obligation. I always ask them why they did so in order to get a sense of the problem. And usually the answers are so mundane. I was traveling, and I didn't know where to get to a church. So I asked, did you really try to find one? Because, you know, all of that stuff is really on the Internet nowadays. And usually they say, not really. Or they say, my kids had soccer games. Or we had guests in town. And as the gospel reading from today also illustrates, it's no better for those who do end up attending Mass but fail to evidence a reverent disposition and careful attention. The man who attends the wedding banquet for the king's son but does not bother to put on a wedding garment is given the same end as those who refuse the invitation in the first place. Of course, our Lord forgives any sin sincerely confessed where there is a firm purpose of amendment. We should have no doubt on that point. We can always approach the throne of mercy in the confessional. But of all the sins that one might commit, can anyone imagine standing before the Lord on the day of judgment for failing to uphold the simple obligation to attend Mass and to participate attentively? An obligation that, in the grand scheme of things, really takes very little time and effort compared to so many things that we are apt to focus our energies on. And an obligation, I might add, that is not there for God's sake, but for ours, so that we can be in the presence of and ideally receive the Eucharist that is the fruit of our Savior's sacrifice on the cross for the sake of our redemption. God is not vindictive. God does not delight in our suffering. He gives us graces beyond all imagining, and we know that he is full of mercy. But what other choice would God have in the face of such hardness of heart if it's unrepented of? cast him into utter darkness. Not because God has rejected us, but because we, by our choices, have rejected him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.